Welcome to Intro to Wakandan Studies, or as I like to call it, The Road to Wakanda. This is a carefree black nerd classroom in which The Road to Wakanda is intended to introduce students to the content and contours of Wakandan studies, including its genealogy, development, and future challenges. I'm your professor, Rain Coleman, and in this session, we will be covering Mbaku. I mean, he's a self-professed, you know, man of deep integrity. He really cares about his people, and he is deeply shaped and defined by his cultural identity. He is Jabari, which is one of the, the, the main tribes of Wakanda. And being so is, is a really big part of who he is, and he just has a particular way of wanting his world to reflect where he comes from. He does not want that to be forgotten. And he's a man of deep integrity. However it's manifested, it's still connected to integrity. For those of you studying abroad and at home, be sure to use the hashtag RTWpod when listening to this session and live tweeting will be 50% of your grade. Now, before turning to chapter seven to discuss Mbaku, uh, those of you out there who have seen the film Black Panther, uh, keep those notes. We will have a open discussion in class pretty soon, and I'd love to get your thoughts, feelings, emotions, and all that good stuff. So again, for those of you who have seen it, wonderful. Those of you who haven't, you have another week or so uh, to go ahead and watch the film as it is a part of your grade, a good 25% of your grade for this course. So moving back into the studies now, turn to chapter seven in your intro to Wakandan studies text for information on Baku. Now, when was I first made aware of Mbaku? I cannot tell you because it goes into one of those situations that I had with Nakia and kind of with the Dormalaje where I know I've been aware. I've seen him. I've seen Mbaku. I've seen his regalia, his white ape, white gorilla regalia. I've seen him in images, but I was never made aware of him in the sense that I've been aware of Shuri or the Black Panther, or even Killmonger for that matter. So I can't pinpoint the exact moment in which I was made aware of him. I do know that I've seen him before, but as with a lot of the characters from these sessions, it has been the Black Panther trailer that has brought him to life. So it's kind of like I've seen him in the trailers, I've seen the images of him, and when going back, looking over and researching this character, I realized that I've seen him countless times before so it's kind of a chicken before the egg sort of situation where I'm seeing him in the forefront now but I remember seeing him before but only because I'm seeing him being so prevalently uh, uh, loaded around now so it's kind of where I met him for those of you out there write on a message board the SoundCloud comments and let me know when did you first realize that you knew who Mbaku was or when did you first discover him uh, go ahead and take a look on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and go ahead and, and leave a little comment for you for your professor. <laughs> now, um, his first appearance was in The Mighty Avengers. This was Volume One, Number Sixty Two, back in March of nineteen sixty nine. 
So that alone should show you that, yeah, I'm pretty sure we all have probably seen him once or twice. Those of us who are heavily into comics to begin with. Now, the appearance of his death, because spoilers, he does die in the comics, was Black Panther Volume 6, Number 4. That was in September of 2016. But the thing is, I believe he was only mentioned in that issue. It wasn't a uh, full-drawn, played-out death. It was just mentioned. Now, this character was created by Roy Thomas and John Buscema. Oh, excuse me for butchering your name, young sir. Buscema. All right. Now, his occupation is the leader of the Jabari tribe. He is a revolutionary and also, of course, a mercenary. His legal status is that of a public enemy, and he's affiliated with the Jabari tribe, the White Gorilla Cult, Lethal Legion, Masters of Evil, Villains for Hire. His resume is extensive, and it is dark. Now, his base of operations are the Jabari village in Wakanda. In the Black Panther film, M'Baku will be played by Winston Duke, which, again, for those of us who've seen the film, you understand the amazing, amazing performance that was given and just how regal that man looked. For those of you who haven't, that's quite all right. Go ahead. You have a few more days. You have some time to catch up, and then we'll meet back here for another session. Now, his real name is M'Baku. His current alias is Man Ape. Now, again, his identity is a citizenship of Wakanda. He is a Wakandan. And what I like about these Wakanda is that though it is a big, vast area, it is very much an intimate place. Like a lot of black families, you can be spread out and come from this large area, but you also have these very intimate relationships where it is this my play cousin or this my aunt. This is my grandmother's best friend from back in the day. And although the connections are vast and wide, they still come down to these intimate, close relationships of these close-knit communities, even within the communities that you create for yourself when you go away to college and you meet your different friends. Uh, you know, it's just little things like that. I enjoy the feeling that I'm getting from Wakanda. It's a feeling that I don't get for the rest of the Marvel Universe. <coughs> Excuse me. Now... His marital status is he is single. Uh, he's a male of seven feet and 355 pounds. Brown eyes, brown hair, and his origin is that he is a mystically enhanced human. Much like Nakia, who is a magically enhanced human being. He is not a mutant. He is not a metahuman. He is not a super soldier serum candidate. He is a mystically enhanced human. And I like that about Wakanda as well. The idea that in Wakanda, we have all these different traditions and these different things that we're doing that are enhancing our people, that are moving us forward with technology, and <clears throat> they're not relying on the idea of a mutant ability, which there are mutants in Wakanda, but there isn't this prevalent run of, in order to be special or, or enhanced, you'd have to be a mutant. This is something that they've done not only with technology, but with enhancements. They've gone the extra step and evolved to a point in which I can take this herb and I can become this new type of person. I don't have to hit the genetic lottery, so to speak. Now, his relatives are Mandela, who is his brother, who is also, spoilers, deceased. We'll get to that in a much later session. You'll We'll discuss that, but, so keep a pin in that. Uh, Demola, who is his cousin. And also Queen Divine Justice, Shante Giovanni Brown. 
if you guys remember her from the Dormalaje lesson, the Dormalaje member that was sent off to America, raised by a woman who wasn't her real grandmother, but an older member of the Dormalaje, and was also brought back into the fold later on. That is his cousin. And that's what I mean when I'm enjoying how Wakanda is this vast, immense area, but it is, again, so quiet and so intimate to the point where you have all these different connections and it just it it feels very familiar now for the powers abilities weapons we're showing that mr mbaku is uh as man ape possesses various superhuman abilities as a result of a magical ritual in which he killed a sacred white gorilla bathed in its blood and consumed its flesh now this is very different from a royal member of the Black Panther family eating the heart-shaped herb or Killmonger eating the synthetic version or even Nakia being enhanced or Killmonger being resurrected on the altar. This is yet another form of being mystically enhanced in Wakanda, which again says to me that it just, it, it, it only serves to emphasize the fact that Wakandans have evolved. Like this is, and when you compare it to the larger Marvel Universe, you have... Uh, Carol Danvers, you have Iron Man, you have the mutants, you have the Inhumans, but everything seems to be split in factions, or we can do this because of this, and I can do that because of that, but in Wakanda, we have all these different types of ways in which to enhance yourself that, regardless to how you feel about it, be it barbaric or old or whatever, they still have different ways. There's not one way to the finish line. There's so many different ways to the finish line, and that's all through being a Wakandan. That is that is just amazing. Wakanda forever. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, his superhuman strength is due to the ritual. Uh, he possesses superhuman strength, enabling him to lift up to about 10 or 11 pounds, uh, tons, <laughs> not pounds, tons. His superhuman stamina, he is advanced musculature, produces less fatigue, toxins during physical activity than of a regular human. He can physically exert himself at the peak capacity for several hours before the buildup of fatigue and toxins sets into his bloodstream. So in that event, he sounds a lot or he sounds very similar to Killmonger. I'm not aware if they have ever went head to head, like written out extensively. I would imagine uh, because of warring factions and whatnot that they would have. But we'll, we'll find all that out later on. Now, <clears throat> superhuman agility. Uh, Mbaku slash man apes agility, balance, and bodily coordination are enhanced to levels that are beyond the natural physical limits of even the finest human athletes. Uh, his reflexes are superhuman, of course. Uh, they are similarly enhanced and are superior to those of humans. Uh, durability. Now, man apes' bodies, tissues are somewhat harder and more resistant to certain types of injury than the body of an ordinary human. However, he is far from invulnerable, and that's something that I really like about these characters. Though they are mystically enhanced, and they are these superhuman freaking machines that can whoop ass and take names later, not many of they are, in the example of Killmonger, constantly having to be resurrected because he is not invulnerable. He is powerful, he is smart, he is a force to be reckoned with, just like M'Baku is, but they are not, not, not not strangers to injury. Now his body is more resistant to blunt force and impact trauma than the body of a regular human. 
Uh, for example, he can withstand being hit repeatedly by a superhuman, someone, let's say, even like maybe a Superman or just anyone with superhuman strength. Think of Rogue from the X-Men. Well to know him. He can take those hits. Um, he can fall from a height of several stories with little to no injury. Uh, whereas, of course, a regular person would be dead. So <laughs> just keep just trying to build the picture of how strong and how powerful M'Baku is. Now, his abilities, he is a seasoned warrior and a skilled hand-to-hand combatant. Uh, since gaining his powers, he become even more form- formidable. And that's another thing that I like. You are getting these powers that make you so superhuman to the point where it's unbelievable. Now, in the world of fiction and in the world of Wakanda, of course, this is some fantastical abilities, but it's not... I'm so strong, I can touch the ceiling with my pinky and it'll fly off into outer space. It's very much grounded in the reality that has been established. He is superhumanly strong with speed and agility, dexterity and all that, but it isn't, it's still written in a way that makes sense to the story. It makes him someone who you have to be a couple steps ahead of in order to defeat. Now, Mbaku the Man-Ape. Mbaku wants his savage religion, and I hate that they say savage, but again, his savage religion to eclipse all others and for his people to dominate the tribal federation of Wakanda. He betrays friends, slaughters enemies, brings his people to the edge of extinction, and finally gives his life for his maniacal cause. Now, the early life of Mbaku, he was born and raised in the Jabari village within the nation of Wakanda, Africa, of course. He was one of the greatest warriors of the African nation of Wakanda, second only to T'Challa. And the, I know size isn't everything, but looking at the size of T'Challa next to M'Baku, M'Baku towers over him. M'Baku is a big, immense, strong character. And for T'Challa to be the greatest and M'Baku second to him, that says a lot about T'Challa. Now, T'Challa the Black Panther, of course. Now, while the Panther, King of Wakanda, was on leave from his royal duties to serve the Avengers in America, the ambitious M'Baku plotted to usurp the throne. That right there is something I would love to see. If we get us, I feel as if this film, it because of the success of the Black Panther film, we should get so many Wakandan stories. Just as many black... Um, excuse me, just as many X-Men stories and just as many Avengers stories and just as many Captain Marvel stories that we have on the shelves. We need just as many stories of Wakanda. Give me a story about M'Baku. I feel as if with Wakanda, we have these characters who are very well-rounded, who are fleshed out, who have stories that need to be told. And although some of them are villains, they still are deserving of stories. And we've got Dr. Doom books. We've got Loki series. Like, what is so hard about giving me a Dormilaje series? giving me something with Nakia, giving me a Killmonger ongoing, giving me a M'Baku, giving me the prequel to uh, T'Chaka and his uh, his adolescence with his brother and with his father. Give me, you have to give me something. And although the ta Coates run of Black Panther is amazing and it is doing the damn thing, I would like to see more. I don't want to just hear his voice. I'd like to hear from women, Africans, uh lesbian queer characters uh, queer characters queer queer people uh people who are differently abled who who 
identify as black, as African-American, as Wakandans. Give me some fleshed out stories. That'll be something new and different. It won't be the same blonde hair, blue eyed on shelves every month after month after month. (sighs) But I digress. Getting back to the lesson, guys. (laughs) Now, the Wakandan culture had evolved from a hunter warrior society and was traditionally ruled by its greatest warrior. Now, the Black Panther had outlawed the rival white guerrilla cult from Wakanda while the Panther cult was dominant. Now, this right here is something that I do not have tons of knowledge on. and I'm going to do a little bit more research, but I don't know if this was a political move that you felt like because you are the Black Panther, you are the most um, deserving because you are the greatest warrior. If it just made sense to outlaw this other cult, but it doesn't seem fair. In the sense that there are other factions. The Panther cult just happens to have the best warriors. And have been dominating for some time. So, I mean, I guess it makes political sense to get rid of the competition. Especially the one that is closest and probably comes the closest at overthrowing you. But, man, I could see how that would drive anyone mad. Like, I'm second to you. I'm coming for your spot. But then you outlaw me? Oh, man. Now, <clears throat> Baku flouted, flouted uh, T'Challa's edits, and he revived the white gorilla cult, personally staking and killing one of the rare white gorillas living in the jungles near Wakanda. He bathed in the gorilla's blood and ate the flesh of the gorilla. The mystically, he gained the great strength uh, and all the other attributes that came from this great mystical white gorilla. Now, for those of you who don't know the Jabari tribe, it is a settlement near the Crystal Forest within the Jabari lands of the African nation of Wakanda. It is, or was rather, home to the man-ape and the center of the white gorilla cult's worship. Now, when the Black Panther returned to Wakanda with the Avengers, Mbaku, calling himself the man-ape, openly challenged the Panther's right to rule, which, again, this is something that is kind of addressed in Ta-Nehisi Coates' run of Black Panther, and it makes absolute sense because I've said it before and I'll say it again. T'Challa and Black Panther is an amazing character. In the history of Marvel Comics, T'Challa, Black Panther has done amazing things, but when you look at the Marvel Universe as if it is a real place, You've done all these super amazing things and all these different titles with all these different people, but it's been in America. You have neglected your own country time and time again. And yes, you can say, oh, well, he went off to help save the world. That's all fine and good. But at the end of the day, once the world is saved, you still are not home taking care of Wakanda as you should. Being the king, because if you don't want to rule... Defer to someone else who's next in line, someone who wants to rule. And that's why I I empathize with a lot of these quote-unquote villains because it is very true. T'Challa has not always been the great king. You know, he's been nowhere near his father. And it... Again, I digress. (laughs) So again, after he returned, he being Black Panther, returned to Wakanda with the Avengers. M'Baku challenged him. Now, Mbako deplored T'Challa's technical revelation of Wakanda and sought to have all technology outlawed so the nation could return to its natural primitivism. Now, me being an American and grown up in America, I'll say that sounds odd. It sounds weird. But that idea that he wants to return Wakanda back to how it was when it was a bit primitive, I think that that is something that can be explored very well 
in the comics. Like if we could get an arc or a story with M'Baku trying his best because no one is the villain in their story. Everyone is the hero of their own story. And so I'd like to know what does this mean to M'Baku? Like I understand he's against technology. Why is he against technology? Why do you want the ways of the old school? And then what would happen if you were able to exist in this primitive space and be the leader of this criminal space within Wakanda if you were giving your own like I I don't want to just dismiss it as oh that's stupid because that's how you used to be back in the day technology is better I don't want to dismiss that because the the fact that he even has that idea means that there's something to that just like a lot of people who sorry to bring this up in this course but you have the make America great again people as often strange as that is something in them wants that to be the case and they have a general idea of why and i don't understand it but i would like to know not how they feel i could care less about that but i bring that up to say how extreme mbako's thoughts seem to be as it relates to wakanda so i would like to get that explored in depth and not just written off as oh he's the villain he wants to go back to the dark ages i don't think it's that cut and dry nothing ever really is now um after a battle uh the man ate bested the panther however when he bound t'challa to the giant statue of the panther and tried to topple it upon his enemy <laughs> the statue instead crumbled burying mbaku now the black panther believing that the man ape had been crushed returned to new york with the avengers again do you not see so this whole fight happened you you went away to be with the avengers Mbaku saw that as a time to usurp your title. You come back with the Avengers. He challenges you to a fight. He gets the best of you. And then through a act of happenstance, he's crushed by the Panther statue. Then you go back to New York with the Avengers. Who is ruling Wakanda? <sighs> now, Mbaku's chief supporter, Ngamo, re <coughs> revived the rebel. Now, Ngambu was the aide to M'Baku uh, who took control of the Wakandan throne in the absence of the Black Panther. When T'Challa returned to Wakanda with the Avengers, uh, Ngabu, of course, drugged their meal <laughs> on M'Baku order. So we, that answers the question, who's ruling, uh, who's ruling Wakanda? But it's just, you should not ever have let anyone take the throne who wasn't your child or your sister or someone who... Um, meant the best for Wakanda. And that's the other thing. I don't necessarily feel like these people who are trying to take the throne won't want Wakanda to suffer. It doesn't seem like anybody's like, yeah, I want to take control of Wakanda and burn it to the ground. These people generally want to be in charge because they see that a void is missing because of our absent ass king. <sighs> so now um, we move on to Lethal Legion. Um, Baku followed the Panther to New York. There, the Man-Ape allied himself with the Grim Reaper and his Lethal Legion. Um, this was a short-lived team of Avengers foes, including the Living Laser, Power Man, and the Swordsman. Now, the Man-Ape kidnapped Monica Lynn, the Black Panther's American girlfriend, who we learned about in the last session about Nakia. Um, he lured the Black Panther into captivity. When the rest of the Avengers came to the Panther's rescue, it was, in the end, Captain America who physically bested the Man-Ape. <sighs> whatever now the panther decreed that the man ape could never return to wakanda without facing the death penalty humiliated the man ape chose to wander the less civilized parts of the world performing mercenary work to survive and keeping a low profile 
He was eventually contacted again by the Grim Reaper, who was trying to assemble a new Lethal Legion to exact revenge upon the Avengers. The Man-Ape served as the Grim Reaper's henchman until the Reaper's racist attitudes prompted the Man-Ape and fellow Legionnaire Black Talon to abandon the Reaper's cause. Now, this small part right here, again, getting a, we get so many stories. Right now, we have a Gambit and Rogue story. A, ish, a comic just going on now. And no shade or no disrespect to those characters. But again, Gambit and Rogue. If we can have a Gambit and Rogue story, why in the hell can't we have a M'Baku story? Just this portion of his history, him being banished, open up the story again, copyright, carefree black nerd. Open the story up with him being banished. These lost years, this time in which T'Challa has gotten rid of him and he's wandering these less civilized parts of the world, performing this mercenary work, trying to keep a low profile. That is set up for an amazing movie. Whereas we're opening up with M'Baku being this spy, doing shit, taking care of stuff. And at the end, we find out though we're rooting for him, he turns out to be the villain and a larger story that would fuck people up like that. I just don't, I feel like a lot of this stuff just writes itself. You have so much intellectual property that's just sitting and waiting to be used. It's like, come on, this is now moving on even further to the acts of vengeance. Now, during the acts of vengeance event, Dr. Doom used an aggression enhancer on him and a group of other villains, him being Mbaku and a group of other villains to attack the fantastic four when they stood before Congress. Now, the so-called prime movers, uh, Dr. Doom, Magneto, Kingpin, Wizard, Mandarin, and the Red Skull were originally tricked into thinking that the acts of vengeance were each individual's idea by uh, by Loki, who possessed an unassuming man in a white suit and played at being their personal assistant slash lackey, kind of making them believe that they were in charge. Now, the idea was that after years of being constantly beaten by the many superheroes, it was time that the villains stopped attacking the same targets they had always attacked and focus on the ones they had never faced. By doing so, they hoped to take the heroes off guard and they'd be easily defeated. Now, this sounds a lot like uh, the events of Old Man Logan. And spoiler alert for those of you who do not want the spoiler, I'd skip ahead about a minute or so. But in that series... All of the, the supervillains within the Marvel Universe decided to attack other persons. So you had, I think, Mysterio who attacked. The whole crux of it is that Mysterio attacked the mutants and made Wolverine think that he was killing villains when he was actually killing all of his friends. So like that's, I don't know if it's synergy or if that's one predates the other or what. But regardless, it's still a nice, interesting story plot point. And it makes sense if you are a villain and you're always going after this same person well we have a whole gallery of other villains let's switch it up some i might be able to knock off your hero and you can knock off mine and then you know we've we've won the day now um aim weapons expo now he mbaku was among the many criminals to visit aim weapons expo on boca caliente but the event was crushed by captain america that that nigga now moving on to masters of evil Mbaku joined the seventh incarnation of the Masters of Evil, gathered by the Crimson Cow with Justine Hammer. First working for Hydra, uh, then they tried to garner the favor of the New York crime families. This 
incised Citizen V and the rest of the Thunderbolts, seeing the Master's legacy turn into mere mercenary work. Now, the Masters of Evil were a team of supervillains. They have been um, eight different incarnations of the Masters of Evil, accumulating dozens of members in total. Now, the Masters of Evil were primarily opposed to the Avengers, although they battled the Thunderbolts, um, ironically consisting of a former Master of Evil member and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Again, even this, Masters of Evil, that could be, I feel as if the care that Tanahasi Coates is putting into this current Black Panther run, the same care can be put into a lot of these other persons in Wakanda. And it would almost be, let's say we have a Dora Milaje series, we have a Killmonger series, we have a M'Baku series, we have the current Black Panther series, and then we have a uh, Nakia series. We have all six of these series going at the same time creating our own little pocket part of the universe the marvel universe and they can all culminate at a an event now i am one who suffers from event fatigue when it comes to these comics but if we have a well thought out well planned event where these all these books lead into and then afterwards they continue on or we get you know new series or whatever it's just like there's so much that can be done just focus on wakanda having its own set just like over in DC Comics you have the Bat family you have the Superman family you have the Green Lantern family you have all these different sects of the DC universe let Wakanda be its own thing give me a school for Wakandan studies and just just so much that can be done again copyright carefree black nerd now Justine Hammer going back to uh, for those of you who don't know who was the Crimson Cow Justine Hammer is the daughter of the criminal uh, financer, financier Justin Hammer. For years, she was forged by her father to prove herself and earn her right to be among the elite. She became the Crimson Cow and formed the Masters of Evil to succeed where her father had failed and used the superhuman community to accumulate physical power and influence in the world. Now, her first team consisted of Claw, Tiger Shark, Flying Tiger, Man Killer, and then the new cyclone and were the first were first thing fighting black widow now when the thunderbolts who were all former masters of evils themselves heard someone else was using their name they rushed out to confront the usurpers justine hired out of her masters of evil to a hydra who was looking to take charge of the new york underworld the masters of evil were sent to confiscate the contents of a warehouse from a mob boss who wouldn't submit to the new leadership However, when the Thunderbolts showed up, she knew that their objective was unattainable. So Justine teleported her team away in a flash of light. Again, that's something that though this didn't focus heavily on Manape, it would be nice to kind of get some of that history in there and, or even see some of these events play out with the from the point of view of M'Baku, like in the shadows. Like, I, oh, there's so much that can be done. Marvel, hire me. Hire me. Email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Hire me. Just give me 12 issues. This, and we can go from there. Now, um, conceived as a new incarnation of the Masters of Evil, the Thunderbolts were initially formed by Baron Zemo, attempting to save his family's henchman, Eric Johnston, uh, who's a.k.a. Goliath. Zemo summoned the help of several MOE alumni, Masters of Evil, uh, Beetle Fixer, and Screaming Mimi, just as little side note there now moving on to civil war Mbaku assisted 
the Pan-African Congress on the treatment of superhumans host, excuse me, hosted in Wakanda among other African leaders as the representative of Wakanda's Jabari tribe in a search for a consensus on the way to react to the American Superhuman Registration Act. The Congress was a failure, of course, <laughs> as the representative failed to reach an agreement before the end of the Congress. Now, the Superhuman Registration Act, for those of you who don't know, was a legislative bill which was passed into law in the United States of America, enforcing a mandatory registration of superpowered individuals with the government. Now, supporters and critics debated between the rights of the individual, which was to freedom of action and expression, and etc., 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 on one side, versus the rights of society at large, which is the safety from danger or harm, on the other side. Uh, and the interesting thing is, of course, with Civil War, that was an American thing. That's not something that they had to deal with in Wakanda. And it's interesting to see the ripples, the waves of a... Again, these are all things that I would love to see addressed in a M'Baku ongoing. It's, or at the very least, a 12-issue maxi-series. Now, encounters with Moreland. When the totemic... totemic Hunter Morlin was resurrected in Wakanda where he murdered Man-Ape by sucking the life out of him and feeding on his totem. Which is like this man has been through a lot as well. All this mystical the mystical nature of Wakanda itself and the fact that it is just taken as just as normal as going to the grocery store. Just as normal as you know walking up a flight of steps. This is something that doesn't it's just a part of being a Wakandan is knowing that there are things out there, things that you can do to enhance yourself and things that people are doing to make themselves a little bit more marketable and a little bit better as a fighter or just in talent that it, I just, I really love this country. I love us y'all. Wakanda forever. <laughs> now, as a villain for hire, Mbaku reappeared alive and joined the villains for hire. He assembled by work. Excuse me, he was Part of the group assembled by the Purple Man and Headhunter to build a criminal empire by selling their services to the highest bidder as opposed to the Heroes Fire who were selling their services as well as Heroes. Now, a team of supervillains assembled by the Purple Man and Headhunter to build a criminal empire by selling their services to the higher bidder that was the Heroes for Hire. Uh, the Purple Man, aka Killgrave, is the mind control, uses mind control via pheromones. Kilgrave possesses the power to sap people's wills, allowing him to command people by simply saying something to them. His power originates in his skin cells, which have been mutagenically altered. The sites of his pheromone production and other secretions in his deep dermis produce numerous psychoactive chemicals, which, when inhaled or absorbed through the skin, induce that particular individual an overwhelming monomia. Uh, that renders him or her completely without self, without will. Now, Kilgrave can simultaneously subjugate as many people that are present within a range of the chemicals. Now, he has been known to enthrall crowds of over 100 people. And uh, Nick Fury's intel, Nick Fury of S.H.I.E.L.D., his intel classifies the Purple Man as a power level 10 for those of you out there playing at home. Now, uh, the most powerful woman on Wall Street, Headhunter, becomes obsessed with Namor and his power upon witnessing him battle with John Horton, the Griffin. She takes Desmond Mars captive, luring Desmond's sister Phoebe and Namor to her office. 
Um, she's powerful. She could uh, mesmerize and control others. She used these powers to gain an advantage in the financial world, as well as a place in the catatonic state. As well as place <laughs> in a kind of catatonic state. Those who crossed her. She placed these victims behind a wall in her office with only their heads exposed, creating the illusion of various grisly trophies. That's something that I have not read. But thinking of Headhunter and the Purple Man, both leading like leading a team, that is downright horrid. Like that is a scary idea. And to think that this seven foot three hundred and thirty-five pound man was subject to their their control is even more horrifying very much gives me a get out vibe now moving on to pleasant hill at some point in time man ape was imprisoned by shield in pleasant hill uh this was a prison in the form of a small town where the inmates had their memories and appearances tampered with using a sentient comic cosmic cube named kabolic uh so they could be turned into model citizens when a group of villains led by Baron Zemo snapped out of this fantasy world and returned to their true selves, they attacked the village from within, good for y'all, wrecking, wreaking havoc and freeing the other prisoners from Pleasant Hill's control. Now, M'Baku was one of these numerous visit villains. When the bad guys, quote-unquote bad guys, took notice of the presence of the Avengers on the scene, they used their numbers to their advantage and mercilessly struck down the heroes. Beat that ass, motherfucker. It's one thing to put me in jail, but now you fuck with my mind and my appearance and you're sapping my body. Nah, no, sir. Now, uh, Kobik took compassion on the Avengers and healed them. Boo. Now, death. Some point in time, Baku died, and the mantle of the white gorilla was taken up by his brother Mandela. Though he eventually joined Baku in death, ah, I feel like that is so lackluster. I would like to see Baku resurrected, uh, and then with the success of Black Panther, it should be pretty easy to just write him in. Because if we're going to just randomly mention his death and not make it a big deal, then we should be able to just have him appear and just randomly be like, oh yeah, he was resurrected. And just keep it moving. Or, you know, write a miniseries that expresses how he was murdered and how he was resurrected. Because, yeah, we could just easily retcon it and say he wasn't murdered. He went into hiding. You know, that's that's the, the greatness of comics and of fiction. Uh, but it would be even greater if it's written from the perspective of someone with these lived-in experiences. Someone who is of color, a black person, an African man. That would be amazing. That would be so dope. Um, now the film itself, Winston Duke portrays M'Baku in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This version is not called Man-Ape, thank God, and does not wear a gorilla headpiece while he still is stated to come from a tribe who has its religious reverence for gorillas and is at odds with T'Challa's tribe. The character appears in the 2018 film The Black Panther and will reprise his role in Avengers Infinity War. So there you go, folks. We know that he won't die in Black Panther. <laughs> so um, anybody out there, any of these wonderful classmates who has more information on M'Baku, would you like to see a M'Baku series? Do you think that, no, he's a villain and that's, you know, he's dead and that's good that he's dead. Or how do you feel? And, and think of it not in terms of the Black Panther film, though we will get into that later. Think of it more so in terms of the character and what's presented throughout the comics. And how do you feel considering the way the strife and the war that Wakanda is at internally 
Now, because of the actions of the king, do you really think that these villains are villains? Because again, no one who are uh, uh, none of the villains have expressed interest in destroying Wakanda. They've expressed interest in leading Wakanda because again, there is no leadership. I would imagine if T'Challa had have stuck around and been the king that he should have been, you still would have opposition, but we don't live in that timeline. We live in a timeline where he has been gallivanting around in America with these white folks and whatever the hell he wanted to do, leaving us open for attack, leaving us open for someone to try to rise the ranks and be the leader of Wakanda. So I don't know. I see that we're supposed to see these persons as villains, but I cannot see this person as a villain. It's like a man who's left his family. You've left your wife and kids and you've gone away to do whatever the hell you want to do. When she meets another man who wants to step in and become her husband and the father to these children and even give her more children. Is he the villain because he's stepping in where you did not? And I, I use that binary man and woman just to kind of prove a point. But I understand there are different different relationships and different classifications but just as simply put when you leave your post in a family and you're gone and you're not working actively on rebuilding those relationships when someone else comes in and fills that void you can't call them a villain you are the villain you allowed this whole in this family in this country to be here so I don't know. I am a fan of Black Panther. I'm a fan of T'Challa. He's done amazing things in his run and in others, but we can't deny the fact that he hasn't always been there. So these quote unquote villains sometimes have to step up and in their villainous, nefarious ways, try to run the country that has not been run well. Uh, so this has been the fifth installment of the road to Wakanda. <laughs> Thank you all for coming in. I enjoy seeing your beautiful faces every day and let you listen to the stories and the research that we have here. If you want to come on and guest lecture and if you guest professors out there, you have uh, some Wakanda related things you want to teach the class, let me know. Carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Use the hashtag RTWpod. Uh, on Twitter, my office hours are 9 a.m. to 8.59 a.m. the following day, every day on Twitter at Carefree Blurred. And um, until next time, I'll see you guys for the next installment of Road to Wakanda. The conversations with Ryan has been really about just what Wakanda means to this man. You know, what his culture means to him, what his people mean to him, and that... He loves them, they love him, and he's willing to die for that. And there's something really powerful about that. Um, a really great thing about my relationship so far with Ryan is that Ryan, I believe, gave a lot of trust to me. You know, he allowed me to create, and then we met in the middle, and, you know, we had beautiful conversations about, like, how we could tell the best story. And he's a generous, generous, you know, artist in that way.